And uh, I didn't pray at all. And I prayed it out loud. Uh, so uh, when we when we're talking about the prayers and and uh, when we're talking about things within a siddur, we need to be careful, of course, that we differentiate between talking about and actually praying. Um, but uh, having said all that, this is uh, we're going to look at four weeks of tefillah uh, or hatifilah, the prayer, uh, specifically uh, as it applies to messianic faith and specifically as it applies to um, faith and practice as uh, uh, members of Messianic Judaism or Messianic Christianity, however you want to look at it. Um, the, the word there, tefillah, it, in Hebrew, it comes from the root to judge or to clarify. Prayer is the word that's used in English. seems a little bit different. A little bit different maybe from what you're used to. Um, let's talk a little bit about the history of prayer uh, or the prayers specifically a service of the heart uh, O Israel return to the Lord your God for you have stumbled because of your iniquity take words with you and return to the Lord say to him take away our all take away all iniquity receive us graciously for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips and the word sacrifices there is not korban or offering it is the word par which means the bulls the calves of our lips so the idea is that somehow our lips are a uh, a representation in some way of temple service that's why I read those two prayers together which the two prayers from the Shemona Esrei together the two stanzas is uh, Shema Kalenu which is uh, hear our voice uh, uh, it's the blessing for God who accepts prayer and um the, temple, uh, the, the prayer for the temple service the return of the temple service they go together this may be one reason why historically Christianity had divorced itself from these ancient prayers it's because they are related to temple service not just related they are thoroughly embedded as we're going to see uh, here is from the uh, here is from the uh, Babylonian Talmud in Tani 2a says it has been taught to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart. What's that? Where is that found? That's the Shema. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's right. It has been taught to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart. What is service of heart? You you must need say prayer. Prayer is service of heart. Now, a lot of people... I remember as a kid growing up, people talk about... I I read books about praying hide. You know... uh, uh, this this you know marvelous missionary uh, who who spent days literally days praying. And it's like how could you pray for days? I mean I can't pray for an hour. How can you pray for days? Now I pray for hours and go wow that that wasn't very hard. It's like well what's the difference? The difference is I'm not having to keep thinking of stuff that I want. If you don't have if you don't think of a whole lot of stuff you want or other people want, you can't pray very long, can you? If you hang around with people, everything's great. Do they have a whole lot of needs? No, they don't share a whole lot of needs. How long can you pray if your needs aren't very many? See, we've got the wrong perspective on prayer. All it is is a, a recounting of our needs. A begging and pleading, which is not bad. We have someone to beg from. Uh, we certainly need a lot. Uh, but at using that as the sole 
definition of prayer is where we may have gotten off track. It's not the soul. It is a good definition of prayer. We read it in the Psalms. David cries out in desperate need. Uh, and he writes those down for us so that we can pray them too. Uh, we can pray them. We can pray what's on our heart, what's what's most uh, what's most pressing in our words, or we can pray the words of David, or we can pray the words of other people, or we can pray together. Um, all those things are legitimate prayer. The problem is if all we ever think about prayer as is a recounting of our petitions, the things that we need or want, then we're missing a very large portion, probably the number one reason for prayer, and that is that it is to clarify, it's to judge, it's to rightly say what's true. What is true? It's worship. What's true? God's great. It is our privilege to serve Him. Those are true. And that is the focus that we see in the prayers as they're represented in Scripture. Let's go to, uh, um, go to Exodus 25.9. Again, uh, not, to, not to belabor the point, but we're going to mention it often. One of the reasons why traditional Christianity uh, left these prayers, left them because these are ancient predate most, many, of your Siddur. If you have a Siddur, a large portion actually predates the first century. It's been added to, it's been embellished, it's been refined, but a large part and the concepts behind it predate. So why did they leave them? I mean, if you could know without a shadow of a doubt that you're praying the same prayers Yeshua prayed. Oh wait, we do. Matthew chapter 6. Our Father who art in heaven. Is that not a precious prayer? If you could know there's like pages and pages of them, would you not want to have a connection to that? Well, you know, a lot of people know it, but hid it. They didn't want anybody to have a connection. Why? Because it has to do with temple worship. Because it's directly related to temple worship, as we'll see today. Exodus chapter 25, verse 9. Temple worship is mandated. First of all, tabernacle worship is mandated by Scripture. God talks about it, not in icky terms. Ew. Well, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. Which is what a lot of people think about. What? What? Isn't it good? Well, the first thing that I tell people is like, well, I keep the Sabbath and, you know, I really, I think, I, I love God's words and His instructions to me. Why? You, you don't eat pig? Well, no, no, I don't. But uh, those, those are good words. Well, when are you going to start doing the sacrifices? And my answer, you know, forgive me, is as soon as they build a temple and they let me in it. <laughs> of course they're shocked <laughs> uh, but the point is uh, tabernacle worship is not bad it is not just simply a picture although it is. it is it is an expression of worship and we need to remember that these prayers are always connected to it in some way now that may put you off you may immediately say then I don't want to have anything to do with it I'm going to challenge you to spend some time in scripture and justify that thinking that feeling Okay, uh, chapter twenty-five of Exodus, verse nine. 
And uh, those of you who have been in this class uh, know that I, I use this a lot. According to all that I show, this is, this is, uh, this is the Almighty speaking, according to that, all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, so you shall make it. Actually, I skipped too far down, didn't I? I need to go up. Try verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. Betochem uh, is in them. What we need to know is that the purpose for the tabernacle had one purpose. It was not for atoning of sin. Never was. The temple was not for the atoning of sin. Neither are the offerings in and of themselves. The purpose for the tabernacle was so that God could dwell among his people. That he would have a place where they could come and experience his presence. That's it. No other reason. The problem with it is that we, unholy, unsanctified, impure, and sinful, two different things, sinful beings cannot be in the presence of the almighty, holy sovereign of the universe as we are without being immediately obliterated. The purpose of the offerings then was to allow you to be where he was without dying. That's it. And all of the issues of holiness and purity that we read of, the book of Leviticus is full of it are about this issue. How can we go where he is? How can we get in there? The first century believers had no had 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 just as much difficulty as anyone else in figuring him out, even knowing that their sins had been forgiven. Because it's not just about the internal, it's about somehow the external, in some way, in some measure. Human beings in and of themselves because of our fallen state are repulsive to the Almighty even if you've been forgiven even if you have eternal life what's the proof of it are you still going to die then the work has not been it has been completed as completed as it's going to get this side of glory but has the work been effected completely upon you no you still die you still decay I still get old thank you very much I don't appreciate it it's my fault and Adam's fault. But we still have it, don't we? Uh, so the purpose is 100% about fellowship and worship. The purpose of the tabernacle is 100% about fellowship and worship. Keep that in mind. Service, avodah, is a word that is used uh, in the scriptures, but particularly in the New Testament, the apostolic scriptures, service. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, right? He says, uh, let your bodies be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable serve, avodah, service, avodah. This is a, not a code, it's not a code word, it's the way you refer to temple worship, avodah, avodah. You know our own our own cousin uh, David Taylor named his CD Avodah. What? Sir Avodah. Uh, in English A V O D A H Avodah. Service. Service. The words continually and daily, which we're going to read about in English in the Book of Acts specifically, are not. They're not code words. They're words when translated back into Hebrew refer to temple worship. They refer to temple worship. And when you look in the apostolic scriptures, there's tons and tons of reference back to temple worship. The language of temple worship, tabernacle worship, is used by Paul and Peter. 
and John repeatedly it's the language it's the vocabulary being used it's not a new thing it's not a new kind of way of worshipping God it's using those same words to understand what worship of God really is that it indeed starts in the heart and the motivations as Yeshua speaks of Uh, let's think about Daniel go to Daniel chapter 6 where did this all start it started in Exodus what is worship of God everybody wanted to go to the tabernacle not everybody had to this is another misunderstanding a lot of people think every time I sin they had to run to Jerusalem or when they're out in the wilderness run to the middle of the camp there is okay I'm, I'm, I need to get cleansed and that's not its purpose its purpose was not was not in and of itself to receive forgiveness for sin its purpose was fellowship uh, this is Daniel chapter 6 verse 5 Anytime somebody gives you problems with temple worship or the prayers with their connection to temple worship, you need to point out Daniel. Everybody knows the story of Daniel. Everybody knows the power of the story of Daniel. And what was Daniel doing here? And in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, he says, uh, Then these men... Am I in the right place again? <laughs> Six, five, and then ten. Okay, five. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Say, what, what's the law of his God? What is the instructions? Let's see. Verse 10. What does Daniel do? Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this is, this is when he's basically, it's a law saying that you can't pray to anybody except, except uh, um, King Darius. Okay? So they, they want to trap him. We won't be able to trap him unless we trap him in the law of his God. Now, they don't know that the law doesn't actually contain this commandment. All they know is Daniel does it and must be commanded, right? Daniel, when verse, chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Where did he get this idea? Three times every day. It's great. Jews pray three times every day. That's, we'll rough it out. Jews pray, pray, they hunt, pray hundreds of times every day. Jews pray three times every day. Christians pray seven times every day. So in the 7th century, Muhammad goes, we'll split the difference. We'll make it five. Where'd the three times a day come from? Where'd the three times a day come from? And that's it, it is it is uh, actually something that Daniel learned while he was living in Jerusalem. Everybody knows you pray three times a day. Well, why do you pray three times a day? Because there's three offerings. There's three offerings. There's an offering in the morning, shacharit, dawn, at at the third hour or nine a.m. There's offering. There's an offering in the afternoon, ma'ariv, which is at three p.m. Uh, anybody that knows the Gospels knows those times are important. And then there is there is uh, Ma'ariv. Uh, I'm sorry, Nika was in the afternoon. And then there's Ma'ariv in the, in the evening, which was all the stuff left over. You put it on the altar and let it burn all night, so that you can come back in the morning and clean all the ashes away. So that was those are the three times. The three times. Um, Go to Pat chapter. Uh, actually, you know, Yeshua. One of the things I remember. I remember when I first started doing Bible study, uh, in, intensive Bible study, in my early twenties. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. Um, the uh, one of the things I studied was uh, um, Precept Ministries' uh, little study called "Teach Us to Pray in 28 Days." 
And in that, there was a study of the, of the Lord's Prayer. It was wonderful. It's a very good study. Uh, in that, it's kind of like it's a formula. The Lord's Prayer is a formula. I don't think so. I don't think it is. I actually think it's not a formula. I actually think it is liturgy. I think it is actually pray these words, not just pray in this. And people say it's pray in this manner. It's, when, you study, when you study the prayers in Judaism, you understand it's not just uh, pray this kind of way. It's you know, pray these actual words. Um, but he pre- teaches a liturgical prayer that is that is mirrored or very close in concept to parts of the Shemona Esrei. There are the 18 benedictions. The Shemona Esrei um, is uh, the 18 benedictions started off as we're going to study this in a couple of weeks, but started off as very short, just seven, which is the same ones we pray on, on on Shabbat. Seven benedictions, and it grew to 18 benedictions by the time of the first century. Some people would say 19, and if you actually look in the Siddur, you'll find 19 benedictions. But we'll talk about we'll talk about the where the 18 and the 19 come from. Go to Acts chapter one. The reason I'm bringing all this up is because you need to know when you start reading the book of Acts what's going on. Actually, you you go to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read something to you real quick before we do that. Verse 50 in Luke 24 says, And he led them, this is Yeshua, as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass when he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Continually in the temple is not, it's not a code word, but in English it makes no sense. Continually is a reference to the offerings, and we're going to look at why that's true. They were continually in the, in the in other words, they were there, uh, the offerings were called the tamid, which were the daily, or the continual offering. So continually in the temple is, is actually a reference to going to the temple for temple worship. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 14. Acts is a, an incredible book if you will take off the layers of Greek and think of it being written by a Jew or maybe a proselyte, Luke, um, written about the first believers who started where? Not in Athens, not in Corinth, not in London, or not in Charlotte, but in Jerusalem. Chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary and Miriam, Mary, the mother of Yeshua, and his brothers. They continued. Here's all these disciples. They continued in one accord. What is continued in one accord? Again, the same reference. This is continued is a word that refers to uh, the prayer. The prayer, which we're going to see here. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, I always like the, the complete Jewish Bible, not because it's the best translation in the world, but because he is so sensitive. So if we know what this day is, why are we calling it something that no one would call it? There's no such thing as the day of Pentecost. Do you know what Pentecost means? Who speaks Greek in here? I don't. Huh? That's right, but somebody had to tell you that, didn't they? Yeah. So if you're going to start, if you're going to start throwing words around that nobody knows, which we do a lot, <laughs> why not use one that's more authentic anyway? Right? It's Shavuot. <laughs> Shavuot. The day of Pentecost is Shavuot. It's on every it's on every Jewish calendar there is. The day of Pentecost isn't on every day on every calendar unless you live in the Western world. When it had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Uh, by the way, one place, place, 
English word place in Hebrew, makom. You know what hamakom is? The place, the place, definite article. If you walk around Jerusalem, they go, hey, let's go to the place. Where would that be? The Temple Mount. Well, today it'd be the wall. Yeah, the Temple Mount. Why? It's called the place. Why? Because that's exactly what the Lord told David and then Solomon. I will put my name on that place. Actually, the Torah says, I will find. I will have a place, and the place is Jerusalem. But the place is the Temple Mount. The place is what it's called. The temple is actually a word for the temple is Hamakom, the place. It's also used in Genesis chapter, uh, was it chapter 22, Akedah, where Isaac is offered up, the place, the place. So, so they're all accord in one place. Who's one place? Well, they're not, it's not trying to say, well, they weren't spread out. It's saying, there was some, they were somewhere. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. The whole house? Now, most of us think, well, that's easy. The upper room. Come on. Nowhere in this passage does it talk about the upper room. Nowhere. It's not talking about the upper room. There's only one place called the place. There's only one place called the house. Because the word temple is not found in the Hebrew language. The word, there's no word temple. When you talk about the temple, it's habait. The house. Har Habait, Temple Mount. If you go to you go to Jerusalem today, ask where people where the Temple Mount is in English, they'll tell you where the Temple Mount is. Is but you say say in Hebrew, and they say Har Habait, the place or the or excuse me the the mount of the house. It's called the house. There's no such word for temple. Not in, not for the temple of God. It's it's a, the house Habait. So they were in the one house. What happened? Well, first of all, this is always a thing that has always amazed me. How is it that 3,000 people were able to cram into the upper room? Or even outside the upper room, if that's what it was. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, the old city, imagine 3,000 people anywhere in there. <laughs> Impossible. In fact, the Psalms tell us it's com- tightly compacted. The city of Jerusalem, the city of David, is tightly compacted. There's no place for 3,000 people to go except one place. The place, the house, the temple. Why do we not know that? People don't want you to know. Because temple worship is icky. They would never have gone to the temple. Unfortunately, they can't erase, erase this book because the book keeps coming back to it. Go to chapter 2, verse 15. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. This is the sermon on Shavuot, Pentecost. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. You may not think that's important, but anybody that knows the prayers knows this is really big. The third hour of the day? What's going on in the third hour of the day? They're shaharit, on Shavuot, in Harhabayat, on Harhabayat, in the Temple Mount. What are they doing? They're praying Shemona Esrei, the 18 benedictions. That's amazing. This is, and this is where God decides to come and with a mighty rush of sound of wind and put fire over their heads and everybody's like, what is all of this? And to prophesy, to speak in other languages? Wow, what an amazing occurrence. Well, if you, if you have a background in Shavuot and the traditions of Shavuot, you go, well, of course, this is the perfect place and the perfect way to show what happened on Shavuot. 
Isn't that the feast that they often pray all night? Well, yes, yes. Well, there's others too, but yeah. <laughs> well, actually, today, yeah, a tradition today is all night long you read the Torah. That's right. You read the Torah all night long. All night. Sure. Starts the evening of the. Sure. To the evening. That's right. Very possible. Doesn't sell. Tell us that. Absolutely. The tradition of staying up all night is absolutely correct. The one accord. Go to two forty two. Acts two forty two. This is after three thousand are added. Was it three thousand? <laughs> or as so it said, verse 41 those who were gladly received his words were baptized immersed there's another reason why it's not the upper room I'm sorry what, everybody bathtub line up <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> all around Temple Mount if you go today all around the Temple Mount there's excavations and in fact what you find is is mikvaot uh, 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 ritual immersion pools they're all there all around uh, it's absolutely necessary so that's exactly what happened they were immersed and today about 3,000 were sold for additive and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And the English translators are deceiving you in that word. They purposefully deceived you. It says, the prayers. The, the definite article is found in every translation there, in the, every manuscript of Greek there. The prayers. This is verse... verse uh, 42. And in prayers. This says the, in the prayers. That's good. What is it? Scriptures. Oh, well, there you go. We did. And same thing with, uh, same thing with, uh, if you'll find, uh, if anybody has a complete Jewish Bible, you'll find that they take, he he very carefully extracts the bias out of this and puts it, and puts something back in. Now, immediately when you read the prayers, you're going to be going, what prayers are those? And that's why they took it out. Because they don't want you to know. I'm sorry, they just don't. They don't want you to know the connection. The connection. Go to chapter 2, verse 46. Rick, what does it say before that they were added to them when they were already Jews that were meeting the 3,000? Oh, that's another topic completely. Yeah, yeah, let me... That's another topic completely. But it's a great one, too. Prayer, and then it says, the prayers. Literally, Verse 46. So, con- so continuing daily... Okay, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Those are all words that mean they kept on going to the temple for the purpose of temple worship. Okay? It says in the set apart place. There we go. That's good. That's very good. The set apart place. That's excellent. And they ate food with glad. Excuse me. Uh. Yeah, and breaking their food with gladness and simplicity, uh, and bre- breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Well, that's great. Sounds like Oneg. Hey, y'all, let's go to Oneg after this. <laughs> uh, all right, go to chapter six, verse four. There's more. I'm just touching, guys. I'm just touching them here. Uh, the Book of Acts is a, is a remarkable book when you look at it this way. Uh, they were probably breaking the leaven bread they were supposed to bake. Well, not Shavuot, it would actually be leavened. It would be leavened. So it said leavened. Yes, leavened. Yes, so absolutely, yeah. Uh, as opposed to unleavened. At, 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 very good. Uh, it was, it's mandated to be leavened at Shavuot. That's right. What they were doing. That's right. 
Uh, verse verse four. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. These are these are the apostles speaking when the uh, uh, seven are chosen. Verse uh, chapter six, verse four. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. Continually to prayer. Now imagine, uh, as a little kid growing up, I was thinking, wow, man, these guys were like holy, man. They'd like sit around and pray, you know, on their knees all the time, like Daniel, right? You know, and and not recognizing that this was a this was a systematic prayer, not like okay, let's sit around and think of some stuff that we need. Not that that's wrong. Don't misunderstand. But we need to stop thinking that's the only way that we should that that, that prayer is. Prayer, uh, an expression of prayer, is to express our immediate needs. Man, there's no time for for liturgy when when someone pulls out in front of me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna promise you, those prayers are probably the most powerful. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes, and we will we'll get to that too. It's good, very good. Um, uh, well, first of all, it says the repetitions of the, of, as the as the heathen do. Uh, you'll find that's a totally different concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying the same word. You know? <laughs> I wonder if I remember to turn this on. Um, let's continue. Uh, go to Romans chapter twelve, verse two, which is which I inaccurately quoted, but let's go to the actual passage. What it says it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God." What's verse one said? Say, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, God, which is your reasonable service." Transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the Hebrew word for prayer, tefillah, from the root to judge or to clarify. What was the verse again? That's twelve. That's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. What is, I mean, prayer is not simply a recounting of your petitions. It is actually to judge, to clarify, to get your thinking right. That's what it is, to get your thinking right. Where are my needs? If you have a desperate need, if someone pulls out in front of you, (laughs) it's to get your thinking right, right? What's your focus on? Like, oh, I can take this guy on. (laughs) Right? No. (laughs) The thinking is, I have a need. I'm in desperate need. Right now, I need help. Right? It's the same thing. Anytime. But, you know, where, where's, our, where's, our, where's our focus when we, when we, when, when we in, in our congregation, we stand or when, or when we sit and say Shema? Where's our focus? On one, the one. The only one. Right? That's to clarify. It's to think. It's to refocus. It's to reorient ourselves. Prayer has a powerful effect in this way. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Nah, that's probably not right either. That's probably not it. Oh man, I'm awful with these references, y'all. We'll find out what this is, and we'll come back to it. Uh, earlier followers of Messiah not only prayed corporally and systematically, and when I say systematically, it's not to say that they only prayed the prayers that we might find in the Siddur, because we know that's not true. Uh, there is a, I, I passed around one Siddur that's used by many Messianic congregations, UMJC, that little blue one. It's a Messianic Siddur. It's, it's a little bit thin. Uh, there is a, there's a large Messianic publisher that's coming out with a new Siddur, a new Messianic Siddur, which would, they are actually going 
going through and they're actually pulling some of the some of the ancient liturgical poems from uh, the second and the first century and, and and putting them into it so that we can know that you know it's it's not just a connection to ancient prayers from before the first century but even uh, prayers that were prayed by people uh, uh, after after uh, the apostles or uh, around the time of the apostles. Um, but they did pray corporately and systematically. They prayed liturgically, but here's the thing. They prayed at set times. If you don't like liturgical prayer, take this as a, as a, as a way to focus your prayers at least at set times. At set times. Even if you don't like praying from a siddur or from the psalms, which that's what the psalms are, is they are a... They're a hymn book what's a hymn a hymns are prayers set to music that's what a hymn is uh, you can look up any dictionary so the psalms are hymns they're the prayer book of the temple that's what their purpose was that's why David wrote them down uh, is that, and, and others is that they, they were the hymn book they were the prayer book of the temple uh, so if you, even if you don't like praying liturgically consider praying at set times what times should we pray at um uh, the first, like I said, the first, uh, the first earliest prayers recorded were the Psalms. Uh, there may have been others that we don't know about, but the Psalms are the ones that we have retained. Uh, there's other prayers, actually, if you look in, the, if you look in, in your Bible, uh, you, you find lots of songs listed. The, Psalm of, the Song of the Sea, the Song of Moses, the Song of Deborah. There's lots of songs. Uh, those are those are prayers set to music. That's what they that's what they were. They became uh, the prayers used in in the synagogue and uh, excuse me in the in the tabernacle in the temple and then eventually in the synagogue. Um, most of the prayers in Yeshua's time were many hundreds of years old already. The pattern of arranging them, and this is on the pattern of time, the temple was arranged main offerings. I told you the third hour, which is 9 a.m., was the first offering. The last offering was at 9, uh, was at 3 p.m., the ninth hour in the afternoon. That every, and those were called the tamid offerings. There was a tamid placed on at 3 uh, and then a goat, and then a goat was placed on at 9 in the afternoon. All the offerings that had to count had to go between those two times. So they were sandwiched. All the offerings were sandwiched between the first offering and the last offering, literally. So we see, we see this. The tamid offerings were bookends. The tamid means continual. That's why every time you read that in English, think, what's that about? Continual. The continual offerings. That's... Um, uh, many synagogues have a near tamid, an eternal or a continual light. It's like to remind us the menorah. Uh, tamid offerings were about the continual offerings. Um, before and after each tamid, there were blessings, prayer. Uh, back, back in, in Chronicles, it talks us about all these places all around Israel used to send emissaries, people who were chosen from villages and towns to specifically go to Jerusalem to serve for a period of time in the temple along with the Levites. These were not Levites, these were regular Israelites, to serve as officers of prayer. To go to the temple at the set times and to pray with the Levites at the time of the beginning, uh, the first offering and the, and, the, and the last offering. Anyone in Jerusalem, provided that you were Tahor, in other words, you were in a state of ritual purity, could go up to the Temple Mount and participate in some way. Women were further restricted, and if you, uh, if even if, although women are Tahor, uh, but some people could never go up 
That's why it's important when you read in Acts and it talks about the lame man. Where does he go? He goes in with the disciples, or with, with, with uh, was it Peter and, and, uh, and John, into the temple. Why? And he's praising God. Why? This is the first time he's ever gotten to go in there. Exactly. A little bit of, little bit of uh, background helps a lot in, in, in showing how the story is, is uh, much, much richer. Second Chronicles 7.14 The place, the way that we point. Most synagogues are face. People think it face east. They don't. You go to the land of Israel, and they actually face south and north. And there's actually one in Masada that faces west. They point towards Jerusalem, not east. Pagans pray towards the sun. The holy people of God pray towards the place. And this is from Second Chronicles, where God tells Solomon, "Whenever you pray facing this place, I will hear your voice." Why? Because my eyes are continually upon it. And He says, "Eternally." That's why the wall is so precious to anyone of faith, um, as it being the last vestige of what was there. Uh, who participates in prayer? Um, by the way, in the book of Acts, it makes many references to the hour of prayer, the third hour, the ninth hour. You can see that the disciples, Cornelius, was praying. When? At the hour of prayer. Uh, there's a whole lot of people doing this that just escapes us in English, or you maybe not think about it. Um, but how many people should pray? Uh, Yeshua always had, always had his disciples around him, right? So he had more than ten. Everybody kind of thinks, well, you, you know, a minion... Or, which in Hebrew means to count. Uh, you, everybody, there's a few men around, and what do you start doing? You start counting. Well, so pretty soon that started to be called a minion, <laughs> because everybody had to count. Well, why is that important? Well, as a whole lot of this book, I'm not supposed to pray unless there's ten of us. What parts can I pray? It, very precious parts. As we're going to see as we go into this, there's some precious parts that are excluded from individuals. Does it mean you can't read them? No, of course, of course, read Pray them, by all means. But the tradition shows that if you want to pray these corporately, you need to have ten men. Why? Because what, was it, what does it take for at least righteous men to at least retain or to uh, restrain the judgment of God upon a wicked people? Ten. We got that from the story of, of Abraham arguing, arguing with the Almighty, pleading. Well, for the sake of 50, 40, 30, 10, 10. If not 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So, this is a very good, actually, it's a very good, it's a very good practice. Now, I want to tell you something different about our master, though. Our master's halakha, his way of walking this out, his tradition was women count. Traditional Judaism says only men over the age of bar mitzvah count. And you actually have to be circumcised. You have to actually be uh, a Jew to be able to pray, to be able to count in towards this ten. Our master included women. And we know by their practice he included women because right at what I read you at the end of Luke includes women. So women are included. Uh, Judaism has no expectation of women to pray at all. 
Women are not expected to pray at all. It's not to say women don't. My wife has a beautiful women's sedur, and it's it's different from men's at various points, but most of it's the same. But it's got different page numbers and everything, which leads you to believe, which all all art scrolls all have the same page numbers, even they don't write in order, because everybody can follow along no matter what sedur you have. Women's is different. It leads you to believe that now you're not supposed to really pray with everybody else. That's unfortunate, I think. Do you have any women rabbi back in these days? Uh, probably not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, Praying with a minion is precious because it includes those corporately includes traditionally includes these these special prayers. The most most impressive and most important is the Kaddish prayer, which is like a the Kaddish prayer is like a divider between different parts of the service, the prayer service. And every once in a while, you'd be praying along, and everybody stops, and everybody does Kaddish, and then you'll find the Kaddish set at parts that are to divide the prayer service. And the Kaddish, as I get to the end here, and I'm going to save enough time to read this, if they get the Kaddish is very important in understanding of the purpose of prayers. Okay? Um, one of the things that we lost by moving away from the traditional rendering of prayer and the traditional, when I say first century and earlier uh, uh, way of looking at prayers, is we lost, and this is, I want you to understand this very, we lost the connection to our root. It is a people that pray together. The same way, the same words are in in many ways very much more united. Um, it is a it is a I have to just tell you just from experience it is a very powerful unifying thing to pray the same prayers all the time. When you're together, you pray whatever you want. When you're not, but when you're together, it is a powerful powerful thing. There are a lot of people that hate the idea that Messianics pray the same prayers. You're not us. Go away. That's why we talk about how many certain prayers That's why it's considered such a to go to the house of the mourner. That's right. They would have a minion to say Kaddish. That's right. And it amazed me that when we were saying Kaddish for my mother, that yeah. they were a pretty liberal congregation, the cat of women, they included me even knowing God was in this That's, well, that's. My father said. You know, and my last phrase was probably not as gracious as it should have been because uh, we we are included at times. That's true. Thank you very much. That's true. That's absolutely true. I have to read this. This is from the Talmud. This is at the beginning of Berachot, the tractate of blessings. This is the first volume of the Babylonian Talmud. This this actual story is not found in the Jerusalem Talmud, but this this sets the stage for all blessings and I want you to hear the story and it's, it's a fanciful story so please don't let the fancifulness of it detract from its purpose okay Rabbi Yossi says I was once traveling on the road and I entered into one of the ruins in Jerusalem this is in the second century there's nothing there it's a ghost town Elijah of blessed memory appeared and waited for me at the door till I finished my prayer after I finished my prayer, he said to me, Peace be with you, my master. And I replied, Peace be with you, my master and teacher. And he said to me, My son, why did you go into this room? I replied to pray. He further, he further said to me, Imagine he's on the road. And, and by the way, he says, By the way, Elijah tells him, You didn't have to go into the room, just say a short prayer. You don't have to go into the whole thing. But he wants to say the whole thing. He's in Jerusalem. I'm in Jerusalem. Why would I not pray? So he's on the road to pray and he's afraid of bandits. So he goes into a ruin to pray. And he says Elijah guards the door for him. 
while he's praying until he's finished and he comes out Elijah says why'd you go in here to pray he says he further said to me my son what sound did you hear in this room see Elijah in the story Elijah's saying you know there's another reason why you went into the room you heard something didn't you you heard something what sound did you hear in this room I replied I heard a divine voice about coal I heard a divine voice cooing like a dove and saying woe to the children on account of whose sins I destroyed my house and burnt my temple and exiled them among the nations of the world and he said to me not only at this moment in other words not just when you heard it not only at this moment alone does it exclaim but three times each day it exclaims this three times a day in Jerusalem in these ruins there's this voice that says woe to the children on account of whose sins I destroyed my voice not only at this moment alone does it exclaim but three times each day it exclaims this and more than that whenever the Israelites go into the synagogues and the schoolhouses and respond and this is the part from the prayer of the Kaddish this is from the Kaddish Yehesh Merabat Mevarach may his great name be blessed the holy one blessed is he bows his head and says says happy is the king who is thus praised in in this house woe to the father that has banished his children and woe to the children who had to be banished from the table of their father this connection between God and his people is being expressed in this maybe fanciful tale but Rabbi Yossi wants to, to know this powerful connection that the people of God have to the Almighty in this moment of prayer. And specifically, these three times of prayer that during the day they were tied to pre- temple worship. Why? Because three times every day for 1,500 or more years, people would go to wherever it was, the tabernacle or the temple, and they would, they would say God's name with praise. How does the father respond when he has to destroy that place where they could go? It's certainly with, we- with, with mourning and with weeping. On the other side, what does he have? But he's still happy when he hears his people, wherever they are, scattered among the nations at three times of prayer. Which if you look at the, if you look at the day, that's all day long. From one side of the globe to the other so when you stop to pray at set times what's powerful about it is no there's people in this time zone praying at this same time to this same God with one thing in mind and that is to proclaim how great he is let's, let's end with prayer Father we do know that you are great and marvelous we set our eyes upon you our hearts we, uh, after you and Father we ask that you might give us a renewed passion to know you Father that our experience and our, and our uh, daily lives might not uh, pull away from that continual knowledge of you that prayer might be in our lips at all times of the day but Father also that we would take the time at various points to specifically stop and to utter your name in praise. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.